You're listening to the Ikra Book Festival 2020, brought to you by The Ark, Radio Ramadan 365, Al Khair, Human Relief Foundation, and Allison Street Cleaners. Allison Street Cleaners, is your laundry piling up? Are you too tired or busy to get it done? Come to Allison Street Cleaners, a fast and friendly laundrette. Services include dry cleaning, ironing, shirt service, and you can now also hire the rug doctor, making sure all your cleaning needs are fulfilled. Presenting you with an exclusive Ramadan special to Radio Ramadan listeners. £2 off every £10 spent until the 15th of June. Don't miss out. Visit us at 110 Allison Street, Glasgow, g 428 N or call 0141-423-3958 Alison Street Cleaners Clean water isn't a luxury It's the moral right of everyone Yet 785 million people live without it And the consequences are dramatic With diseases from dirty water Killing more people each year Than all forms of violence Including war It's why Human Relief Foundation bring clean water into the heart of communities. But they need your support to do more. Visit hrf.org.uk We believe that every child deserves a good education. This is the best way to ensure that they can achieve their full potential and escape a life of poverty for themselves and their families. All that these children want is a chance to learn and fulfill their dreams. With your donations, Al Khair Foundation helps thousands of children gain a quality education. Please support us so that we can continue to help some of the poorest children across the world. To learn more, please visit our Glasgow branch at 441A Victoria Road, Glasgow, G428RW or call on 0141-423-5747 or visit our website at alkhair.org. Assalamu alaikum, Sophie. Thanks so much. Um, it was nice to kind of be on air, as it were, with you again. It's been a few years since we've done the radio in Glasgow, but alhamdulillah, that's been enjoyable. And what an amazing uh, session we've just had. Uh, you know the um, uh, biggest questions of our time over, you know, whether uh, you know the economic <clears throat> systems have a a real influence in our lives, and uh, you know how much uh, do individuals have uh, power to to change what's going on in their own lives and perhaps in those and others. Um, well, alhamdulillah, you know, mashallah, I have to say that um, thank you again to the sponsors. Um, Al-Khair, alhamdulillah, are sponsoring this section yet again, very generously, um, uh, for the book festival. And, uh, you know, I must say, my own background, um, I uh, learnt uh, religious and philosophical education, um, and I love those, those um, massive questions and important questions of our time. But the, the more I, I get into my philosophy, the more I get into, um, you know, religious studies and so on, the more I realise the profound nature of stories. And alhamdulillah, uh, we've got uh, a couple of sections coming up which have got absolutely excellent uh, storytellers. Um, and dare I say, you know, um, uh, telling stories is perhaps, you know, it's, in fact, it's definitely, it's at the heart of who we are. And alhamdulillah, we're, we're really lucky to have many people in, um, so interested in stories. The next section I'm going to introduce um, to you, uh, Aksa Beg, and um, she is a qualified teacher from the University of Edinburgh. She's a passion for literature and she's had that since a young age and she 
went on to, in fact, take part in the Storying Relationships creative writing workshops. She was born and raised in the city of Glasgow and is currently taking an Islamic counselling course. And she hopes that this will help her to help the community as well. So, Aksa, uh, welcome to the festival. Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> Great to have you. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to yourself, OK? OK, perfect. Thank you so much. So, it's you and me, Sashira. Green um, <laughs> team back again. <laughs> yeah, so Safina and I actually met in our creative writing workshops where Safina, you were um, teaching us all about creative writing. That's where I kind of became obsessed with you um, and your books. So, you know, in a good way, in a good way. Completely in a good way, completely. So, what we'll do now, I think, is you're going to read a wee snippet from your book. Um, and I'll yeah, so, yeah, okay. So, first of all, just salam alaikum to everyone. Um, I just want to do a very quick thank you to the organisers of this event. I think it's an absolutely fantastic opportunity to have um, writers, people of colour, to have an opportunity to come and talk about their work and to just actually see how diverse and how talented you know we actually are because we've got so many different types of writing, so many different types of school of thoughts and everything shows um, what we're actually capable of. So just a very quick thank you so much for coming up with this event, for organising it. I know it can't have been easy. Um, so quick thank you for giving us this opportunity. Um, like I said, uh, we'll start off with just a little bit of um, my writing. So I am writing a four book fantasy series. I, alhamdulillah, have managed to publish the first three. I am working on the fourth one. I've been saying that for the last two years, but I am yeah. working on it. Um, and inshallah, I'm I know. Inshallah, I'm hoping to get it published. Inshallah. But um, this is just a little part of the very first book, um, and I've tried to go for a for, for a bit that I could hopefully sort of highlight um, the kind of stories that I like telling. Um, and I thought it'd be quite good to open up a discussion point. So hopefully everyone will enjoy it. So the first book called Frontier. Aaron looked over to Kyron and Ryan's. There are no better words for it indecent proximity to the dancing girls. It seems so strange for Kyren to just go up to a seemingly random girl and start dancing with her. Weren't they here to hunt? Should they be looking for each other? Aaron glanced over at the villagers still seated around the fire, the fire, playing their drum tambourine things. The fire was rather unnecessary. It was still daytime and the sun was scorching above them. In fact, he was already feeling the burn on the back of his neck. Aaron's gaze studied the man playing the drums. He was sweating. His face was covered in fat droplets of perspiration. His face and neck flushed pink. Yet, he didn't move away from the roaring fire. His fingers continued to beat on the drums. A close look with awfully pink fingers, as if he had been playing for hours. Aaron's run down his spine. He looked back over their wild, tangled locks, gave those smiles lifted up their thin lips, almost in hidden grief. Danielle, Aaron whispered, what exactly are Chavaris? Danielle's hand was sneaking up into her coat, while her eyes on Kyron, Ryan and their dancing partners. Demons, she murmured back, they devour mages, leather into their realm. She glowered at the dancing girls. Disgusting as the Chavaris are. She began sliding something out of her pocket. 
What she brought out was the weirdest instrument Aaron had ever seen. It was small, no bigger than his hand. It looked like a flute, but instead of being long, thin, it was broad and had a round bulge near the top. It reminded Aaron of the flutes he'd seen in books that make charmers in India. Danielle paused. The strange flute thing still half her pocket. Her other hand closed around her silver spiral pendant hanging from her neck. It's on, she said. Come if you don't want to miss the party. Be careful, Aaron heard Scott's voice echoing his words. Danielle pulled the flute out, just as Jean took an identical instrument out of her pocket. They put them to their mouths and started playing. Their tune, a spine tingle, cut through the gums and tambourines. The dancing girls came to a sudden standstill, their eyes widening with horror. With an unearthly hiss, the girls pulled back and, as one, turned to face Jean and Danielle. Before Aaron's very eyes, the dancer girls started to change. The deep brown of their eyes lightened to yellow, their pupils slitted. The previously smooth, unblemished skin started to develop a strange rash. Small, brown, black boxes appeared across their cheeks, travelling down their necks and to their bare arms, stomach and legs. The villagers stopped playing the drums, seemingly coming out of a trance, and gasped in horror at the sight of the changing girls. Boys who had been dancing with them scrambled to get away, crying out in fear. The only exception was Kyron and Ryan. The rapidly transforming girls backed away, forming a tight circle in the middle of the stunned crowd. The girl who was dancing with Kyron tried to step away, but Kyron's firm grip on her arm pulled her back. Where are you going? He asked with a grin. The girl hissed at him. Actually, hissed. Aaron recoiled in absolute girl's eyes narrowed in rage as she opened her mouth. Gone were her perfect white teeth. Instead, she had fangs. Two sharp curved fangs that fit into Kyron's over. Kyron's other hand closed around her throat, holding her still. Don't get hissy with me, Kyron teased. Jean and Danielle were still playing their strange flutes in a continuous tune, no breaks, no stops. The cheeks were bulged out, a sign of their circular breathing. Every single dancing girl was now focusing on Jean and Danielle. Terrifying black slitted yellow daisies were fixed on the flutes playing that tune. The girls shivered, sticking out long, black tongues. Their hissing got louder, fiercer, and so fangs bared, the girls came at them at once. A wave of Danielle's hand was flying backwards. The only exception was the girl in Kyron's grip. Sorry, Itchy, Kyron said to the girl. It was never going to play out. He pushed her towards her, her crowd of girls. Ryan held out both of his hands, palms facing up. Hovering above both hands were two small bubbles. Transfixed to the spot, Aaron watched in horrid fascination as Ryan set the fireballs at the girls, one after the other, forcing them to stay back and huddled in a tight group. The girls kept trying to comfort Jean and Danielle in an effort to stop them from playing their flutes. As it was clear, the longer they played the strange, eerie music, the more of an effect it had. The brown and black rash spread across their skin, forming scales. Their bodies began to get tighter, thinner, longer. Jean and Danielle's continuous playing did work, and before Adam's very eyes, the girls changed completely. Their long, wild hair disappeared. Their faces and necks elongated until they merged with their bodies. Their long limbs fused together until, for a terrifying moment, they were no more than tall pencils before they all collapsed to the ground. Gasping in utter horror, Aaron realised where the ten girls had stood, there were now ten hissing 
six. Jean and Danielle talking. Finally, Hyden grinned, pulling out his gun. Now we can really dance. One of the sandy-coloured snakes leapt towards him, fangs bared. Kyron moved out of the way. Jean and Danielle rushed to their feet, guns drawn, and came to Ryan and Kyron's side. The snakes raised their heads, spitting and hissing at the hunters. Aaron found himself watching Kyron, almost breathless with fear, as he dodged the snake fangs. The further Kyron backed up, the closer one snake came to him. Kyron held out a hand, and the snake was pushed flat against the ground. It twitched, its pointed tail flapped this way and that, trying to get free from the invisible hold. Kyron stepped forward and pinned the snake under his foot before sliding the rack on his gun back. A single resounding shot and the snake fell still, then turned to ash. Okay, okay. Do you know what's exciting about this entire thing? Is I know what bit, you're, what bit you read. Um, <laughs> uh, so thank you so much um, for reading that snippet. Um, I'm just so excited to be here and having you and like having you here with me um, and being able to relate to someone that I see myself in has been a really interesting uh, journey for me and I'm sure many other people of our community and other ethnic minority communities. Um, so I have a few questions for you and I'll just get into answering them, asking them rather. So we've had a wee introduction, everyone knows who you are now. My question to you is what kind of, so this genre in particular fantasy, it's not a, a genre that a lot of um, people of the Pakistani community in particular, I don't think get into. So what was it that you, what was it that got you interested in this, um, this genre in particular? Um, I think a simple answer to that is that's the genre I enjoy reading. Um, so okay. I've been an avid reader from a very young age, um, and I owe that to my parents. Both of them were very um, encouraging, very supportive of making sure that when I was young that I was reading all sorts of books. So my dad used to buy me the Nancy Drew and the five um, the, the, the five investigators and you know, all these types of detective books, and I would read through them, and then he would go and get me like the John Grisham novels, you know, because they also do courtroom crime dramas. Um, and then obviously he got me the Chronicles of Narnia and, you know, so he kind of made sure that I had, you know, a little taste of everything. Um, and the more I read fantasy, the more I sort of felt myself sort of pulled towards it. And I think it was just because of the imagination um, and the fact that it was something that I found I could sort of immerse myself into fully. Yep. Um, so when it came to writing a story, it was one of those things where I wanted to write something like write a book that I personally would like to enjoy reading. So I always kind of joke that, you know, they obviously write what you know, but my argument is um, write what you would like to read yourself. So write the book that if no one else wants to read it, that's fine, but you enjoy it. Um, so that's essentially <laughs> what I did. I wrote, I wrote what I enjoyed doing the most. Um, looking at this bit that I've read in, in particular, you know, um, like a lot of, I think, Pakistani, um, you know, boys and girls, you know, I kind of grew up in Bollywood. So I grew up watching a lot of Bollywood movies. And yeah. this sort of shape-shifting, you know, kind of snake demon things is, you know, a lot of the kind of late 80s, 90s movies, Bollywood yeah. movies were obsessed with this idea. And there's a lot of shape-shifting going on, which I always found, you know, really interesting. So, of course, when it came to a point where I had to sort because of, I wanted to write a fantasy, but not talk about everything that's been done to death, so vampires and werewolves yeah. and, you know, dragons and all the rest of it. 
So I do have elements of that in my books, as you well know. I know. But um, I wanted to, yes, you do know. Um, but I wanted to bring in a little bit from my own sort of, you know, folklore, you know, whatever you want, to, you want to kind of call it. So I've got little bits in there that I grew up from these kind of scary stories and all the rest of it. And I sort of incorporated that into my fantasy. That's actually something that's really interesting because when I like so I found out I was going to do this on the Tuesday, I read reread the books. Oh, and wow. honestly, and hold on, do you know what? Since we're here, I'm just going to show you. I'm on the last book. Here's my bookmark, and I've just got like a wee bit left to go. And I thought to myself, I was like, it's all right, you can take a break. Like, wow, <laughs> all the books are, I know, because the books are actually all that size, aren't they? They're big, thick books, so they're not something you can, wow, you all of that since Tuesday. <laughs> Yes, and you know what the funny thing is, like I love that I, that I did that because I've not done this in years. Like I've not just sat and read like this in so long, so I really enjoyed it. But as I was reading, um, I noticed elements of um, since I'm Pakistani as well for everyone watching. Um, a lot of our culture, I seen a little little bits of it, and um, it's just really exciting. One of the things where the I'm going to try to pronounce this right, the Abarimans. Ab Ab so yeah um that you can tell everyone what that is who they are why yeah. why they're there <laughs> yeah and um, so that the abramans or abadamans um whichever way you want to pronounce it they are basically this sort of folklore legend that i sort of grew up on which was this um people swear that they've seen people who look normal, absolutely look, you know, human, but yeah. they've got backwards feet. Um, and there's always been like folklore, I don't know if any other Pakistani um, or even sort of maybe Indian or Bangladeshi or, you know, people, ethnic minorities, um, yeah. they'll sort of be able to sort of identify with that. But I remember growing up in stories and people would swear blind that these, these people exist and they're very feral and they're very violent and you know, a bit like a boogeyman type of thing. And the yeah. only way you can distinguish that they are not human is by their backwards feet. So of course, when it came to writing, um, that was something that I wanted to sort of look into. So a little bit of research showed that there, there is the folklore legend. So urban legend, if you want to call it, and oh. they're called abdomens and they are, you know, they've got long beards and they're very feral creatures that live deep in, in, in forests and woods and they, they feast on human flesh and, you know, proper horror, horror stuff. So just lovely to, yes yes that the all the all the research yeah. i had to do um on these books you know i was quite scared i think somebody sees my, my google history what they're going to think <laughs> yeah but it was fun and that's the biggest aspect of being a fantasy writer i think is the research part that's what i really enjoy um so i kind of incorporated that into the story and i thought why not have my hunters um fight them, fight them. yeah so it was nice to see because from uh, like me growing up the whole backwards feet idea is this idea of witches. So a lot of South Asians have this idea that uh, there's a there, there's like witches, and the way you can tell someone's a witch, they look normal. She looks normal, and she looks like a, a normal person, but her feet—that's where you know. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, I was like representing man. Um, another, I, another story was the story of Mirza Saiba, um that you had. Um, in the book, they were just discussing stories, love stories, epic, tragic love stories. Um, and that was the one that you chose to uh, discuss. And why would you pick that? What was it about that story in particular? Um, so again, like I said, stories have been a big part of, of my life growing up. 
while my dad encouraged me to read books, um, my mom told to sort of recite stories to me. So of course the stories that she would tell me would be sort of these kind of, you know, Nella Maginos or like, you know, Romeo and Juliet, but kind of an Arabic version or what have you. And she would always tell me my Zanzaiba story. And from all of them, all the stories that she told me, that one would really always stay with me because they had something that other love stories didn't have, um, which of course is the sort of betrayal that happens with mm. the Saiba, you know, sort of um, with good intentions, of course, but she ends up, you know, doesn't mean to, but she brings about the demise of the very person that she loves yeah. um, by breaking his arrows. And they, that I use that as twofold because um, as you've obviously read the books, you know that that's a bit hint of a foreshadowing that happens. Indeed, it happens. Indeed it is. So that, that was part of it. So I wanted to bring something in which I thought was different enough. Um, a story that everybody knows, knows about the Lama, you know, because it's, it's heavily sort of parallels with Romeo and Juliet. Mirza and Saiba is a story that I, I wasn't sure if most people were familiar with or if they knew it. Um, so I wanted to bring that in because it obviously was foreshadowing what happens between two of the kind of main characters um, in the books. Yeah, so that's why I remember that one. Yeah, I love that. Um, just like so, this world that you've created, um, like it's just it's so exciting to be a part of, and it reminds me of another world that I completely love, and that I'm, I know that you love as well, which is the Harry Potter um, world that you know everyone's been obsessed with. So, did that have like what influence, or if if any, did that have on your writing and your resolve to write a fantasy novel? I think definitely Harry Potter is a big influence, I would say, um, because Harry Potter is actually what got me into the discipline of writing, funnily enough. So um, I never thought, and I, I wasn't like six years old and thinking I'm going to grow up and be an author. It was nothing like that. Um, I went to you know, school, I went to university, I've got a degree in biomedicine. It's completely different discipline to writing. Yeah. But because I was, you know, quite a, a sort of a, a fanatic, and it was between um sort of waiting for the next or the last couple of books to come out that i discovered this online community um which is fiction something that was new to me concept i never read it before so i started reading a lot about um the fan fictions that were that were sort of written and most of them were about harry potter of course and that's actually what led me to do my own writing. So I actually started my writing journey started by writing a fan fiction series on Harry Potter. Um, so it was like a, my own version of what would what would happen if you know such and such an event happened yeah. in Harry Potter. So it was the same characters, but my complete my own story. And that's what gave me the confidence. Um, that's what gave me the, the kind of, it gave me all the kind of uh, a chance to sort of iron out all my, my mistakes that I was making because of course I would write a chapter, publish it online and readers would, you know, view it and come back to and say to me, you did this really well, but you did too much of too much of this or I didn't yeah. like the way you did your dialogues or whatever. So I learned a lot from sort of like peer reviews. Mm. And that's really I wrote I was and I'm still actually writing that, I'll, I'll be honest, I still go on every so often and write a wee chapter. I haven't done that in a while either. Um but that's what gave me the the kind of the inspiration to write because I was getting such good reviews and my fan fiction series just went a bit crazy to be honest. I think it's got just just over 13 million hits worldwide and it's got a whole fan base <laughs> based on it itself. 
Um, so that that was that was what gave me the well, you know. And everybody kept saying, "So why are you doing fan fiction? Do you want to do original? You can you can do good enough and blah 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 and all this." Um, and really, that's where I thought to put the boost of confidence. So definitely Harry Potter, the whole sort of story, the kind of family element is what I loved about Harry Potter was the fact that Harry was an orphan and how he was treated because of that fact. And of course, in my fan fiction, um, I made him not an orphan, so his parents are still around. And just my sort of take on family dynamics, father-son relationships, the kind of brother bond, because of course, in my story, if his parents are, Harry's parents are still alive, they go on to have another child and that's Harry's brother. And that gave me the opportunity to come up with an original character. Um, and that, I think, is sort of definitely, I would say, it, it sort of gave me the the kind of core foundation um, to build my own story. So as you know, the Power of Four series is very much a family drama, very much um, there's action, there's adventure, there's fantasy, there's, yep. you know, boys on motorbikes and girls on motorbikes. Um, yes, sort of, I noticed that, I noticed that, I love yeah, that. Everything. But at its core, I would, I would argue it's a story about brotherhood, it's a story about family um, and the importance for unity, really, because that's really my my whole sort of reason for writing was for, for that message of unity to be there. And that's interesting because that was one of the things that I wanted to kind of get from, like I wanted to glean as well, was the fact that while reading it, again, it's this element of togetherness, is that when we're together, we're stronger, um, and there's themes of, um, of family, um, as you said, but there's also this, what really fascinated me is this theme of good and evil and how the way you've <laughs> done it, honestly, um, the way you know, you've done it, it's as if nothing, is, nothing good is truly always good and nothing evil is truly completely evil. And obviously, as a reader, I was just reading it thinking, I'm so confused what's happening with it. Confused in a good way, like just wanting to know what's happening, wanting to understand. So why this, you know, this grey area? What, what's, what was that for? What was... Um, I think primarily because that's what fascinates me about, about us, about humans, about people, um, especially from an Islamic point of view. We are... You know, if you look at it, like if you if you read the, you know, the Holy Quran and you try and sort of interpret it and, and sort of look at it, there's so many mentions about sin. There's so much mention about how merciful um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and that when we, we make errors, we, you know, because we are human. And it's one of those things we are to be flawed is to be human and to sin is, you know, to be human. Um, yeah. And we're not expected to be good all the time. We're expected to fall and we're expected to do things that we're maybe not supposed to do. And then it comes into that thing about repentance, that if we repent and if we say sorry and if we ask for forgiveness, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his infinite mercy, you know, will, will forgive us. And I think that is one of those things where it makes characters more interesting because it makes them more 100%. real. I, I truly do believe there is really, you know, very few people who could say, you know, I'm completely pure, I've done nothing wrong. I think that um, we're all, as humans, we are going to, we are going to make mistakes, we are going to sin. What separates us is the fact that we can ask for forgiveness and that we can expect to be forgiven and we can repent. That's what makes a good person, you know, or an arrogant person who doesn't admit to their faults and doesn't want to, you know, admit that they've they've, they've um, errored. So in my story, the negative or bad bad guys, if you want to call them, are ones who don't repent, who think they've done nothing wrong. Um, and the whole this whole morally grey is just it makes very good writing. It's just I enjoy it because. I get to show the bad guys in a good light and I show that the good guys aren't always good because uh -huh. one of those things, you know, you have to get your hands dirty 
type of thing and it's um, yep. a question point you know no, definitely. Um, I think that's what makes the uh, books and stories so relatable. And um, again, just comes back to this idea of literature being so powerful and something that you can really relate to and, um, you know, understand on a level that's deeper than than any other form of uh, media. Having said that, when was the time, when did you, like an early experience where you found the, you realised the, pow the power of language Um, I think really the power of language um, really would be when I was very young and I was listening to all these stories and I was reading stories um, because because you, I was exposed to storytelling and, and reading from a young age. Our whole family is actually geared towards that. My aunts, my cousins, we're all, I remember uh, one of my cousins, hopefully she's, she's watching right now, um, you know, we would, she would, she would go out like, to the shops to me and she would suggest book series. And she would say to me, you know, oh, I, I read this one's really good, and you know, take this book series and we swap books and stuff. So, the, and we were very imaginative, you know, just even cousins all playing together. We would always come up with our own story plots, and then we would act them out as if we were in, in a movie, you know, just yeah. these things kids do. So yeah, so definitely, I think from a very young age, and it was because I was reading so much, and because our even our our play. Because see, nowadays kids are sitting on their devices, and you know. We, there's not as much imaginative play anymore yeah. I feel anyway from yeah. people looking at what my kids do compared to what my cousins used to do and uh -huh. um, the world were different so I think definitely the, the sort of the influence or the power that language has the power that storytelling has that became very apparent to to me anyway from a very young age because I think we've been exposed to it a bit more and that's my sort of concern now is how do I get that for my kids or for the coming generations how do, how do yeah. you do that and I think the fact that you wrote your own books and published them, I honestly think that's such a massive step because for me, like for the South Asian community in particular, I know we're a global um, and I'm sure a lot of other communities can relate. It's just that we don't have that representation in, in literature and, and, and creative arts. It, it's all kind of geared towards be a doctor, be a teacher, be this, be that, like, you know, professions that you hold in high regard or high esteem and our creative talents are always pushed aside and I just love the fact that seeing you like having your books here like it's possible so anyone that's watching like if you're interested like go for it try and you know yeah like what would you I mean, say like, like we just yeah like you just said Aksa, like it's not something that we I think from a young age um belonging to the ethnic minorities especially you know it's not something that I think we ever get sat down and told that oh yeah you know, you do something creative, become an artist or become, yeah. you know, um, a writer or a playwriter or even, you know, go into the creative arts. It's not something that's, I think, encouraged, in, in, especially not in, in the generation that I was in, you know, with, yeah. the, with my parents' generation and mm -hmm. even elder. I'm hoping that's changing now. I'm hoping that as we're seeing so many people from such diverse backgrounds and they are, you know, achieving the impossible, I'm hoping that will, you know, make the coming generations a bit more accepting. Of, yeah, of I mean, I'm very, you know, except for my kids, you know, um, I'm kind of like, look, obviously, you know, publishing myself, all the rest of it. But I think there is, as a parent, I can understand the side of it, which is the, you know, what is it going to take to be successful? And, you know, they should have something they can fall back on and all the rest of it. So I think that's a whole big discussion. But definitely, I think we need to be a bit more open and accepting. And because... Um, this is the thing where it's not always about monetary value. Like I don't look at my books and think how much money did I make? And based yeah. on that, I'm going to decide am I successful or not? 
to me, the success comes from people like yourself, yourself, people who message or contact and say, I read your book, really loved it. You know, I was up like you spent, you know, practically what, well, you know, four so days, three good. days, you know. But it wasn't hard to manage books. To me, that yeah. success, me, I am myself, um, and kept myself very lucky that I, I was able to do that. No, I definitely like it's just such an exciting I just think it's such an exciting thing to be a part of it's like exciting time um I'm just having a look at my question just because we've you've like everything that I want to ask you're answering like it's going good um so obviously hearing everything that you're saying about writing and how you write what would advice if you had like one advice one advice one piece of advice that you could give yourself um when you first like now that you've published yourself but when you first published what would it be to yourself like how would what would that be? Um, it would be don't give up. I know it sounds really corny, really cheesy, but it actually is true because see, even when you're a writer or or anything, any kind of creative or expressive art, you are your worst critic. So there are moments where you'll be sitting and you're working, whether that's you're drawing something or you're you're writing, and you, there'll be moments where you think, oh, this is just absolutely horrendous. This is so bad. This is you know absolute garbage, and you want to just tear it up and throw it away. Um, so my advice would be on when you have those moments, just take a breather and just take a step back, you know, take a little break, but then get right back on it because it's just with, you know, and they say, you know, if at first you don't succeed, get up, you know, shake yourself off and try again. And that's yeah. what I've especially when it comes to some like writing, because there are days where it is quite literally you versus a blank screen or a blank piece of paper. And usually it's the blank piece of paper that wins that, that <laughs> round, but you just have to keep on trying. So that's why I would say, don't give up if it doesn't matter if it takes you it took me five years to come up with the concept of power of four it took five long years for me to piece together ideas yeah. and come together with what the backstories of the characters would be before i even started writing um and if i had given up you know you wouldn't be sitting there with those books and i wouldn't be here Honestly, like yeah please sorry continue no that's it that's a, just, just yeah. don't give up just keep on going and if you've had a bad day take a breather and then get back right, right back on it Honestly, it's just um, the way that you've created the world that gives you, it's like escapism, as a lot of readers will probably agree, it's this idea of just losing yourself in a, in a completely different world, and you've managed to do that so, so well without making it convoluted and confusing, and uh, you've paced everything really, really well. I think the one thing that I want to ask is how do you then balance giving being original and giving the readers what they want? <laughs> there's a lot of things I want you know so how do you <laughs> what your readers are wanting? Um, I think the simple answer to that is like I said echoing back my first sort of answer is write the books that you want to read so there's lots of stuff that readers want but you need to yeah. stay true to your vision to your idea to what your story is I'm having an, an actual battle with my eldest daughter just now because she as well is a reader and has, is a fan of the books and I made the mistake of telling her, you know, a planned death happening in the fourth book. And now oh, she's no, on no, the no. case. No, no, no. She's trying to talk me out of it. But this is the thing where, you know, like that. If, and I know I know it's going to devastate fans. I know that. But that's exactly what I'm going to do it. You can't, you can't, you can't <laughs> sorry. Sorry. That's my answer. Stay true to your vision. Stay true. And... You know, if you can, because the thing, if you are writing the book you want to read, if you are writing, you're staying, you're, you, you are staying true to your vision and the story you want to tell. If God forbid people don't like it or they don't, they don't enjoy it, and they tell you that, you can say, well, 
I didn't cave in and write a story someone else wanted to wanted me to write. I wrote the story I wanted to write. Do you love it or you hate it, but it's your work. And I think that's really important. So stay focused, stay focused. I love that principle, but I've got a feeling I'm not going to love it when I read that fourth book. (laughs) Why did you do it to us? Apologies. In advance, yeah, okay. I'll have a think about it after I read the photo <laughs> and then I'll have a word. <laughs> I think one, okay, so one question that I um, really want to ask just before we wrap up is how did you manage to write a book about a 14-year-old boy? You are not a boy, <laughs> nor are you 14, maybe a few years older than that, but no. you're <laughs> So how did you manage to really get into um, his mind? And delivered us such an interesting story? Um, I think, to be honest, that's a very hard question to answer because I don't really know how I did it. But I think the honest answer probably would be um, I didn't really focus on, and I think this is an important point actually, is see if I set out to write a 14 year old boy, I probably would have failed because, like you said, I have no, no experience. I have daughters, so many brothers, so I don't have any female reference. I could say, oh, when my brother was growing up, that he's 14, he was blah 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 because I don't have that but the main character obviously is Aaron Adams he's 14 I wrote Aaron as a character as a person um for the, the kind of character that I needed him to be so if that was a 14 year old girl you know it would still translate the same so I didn't set out to create a 14 year old boy I just set out to create Aaron um so whatever he's he is or whatever if he feels really realistically like a 14 year old then I, I'm just blessed and that's a love help on me because I don't think that I actually set out to, to do that. There are some obviously differences because like I said I do like young adult fantasy fiction so I've read Harry Potter, I've read Percy Jackson, I've read you know Philip Pullman's Dark Materials. So there are elements that I've sort of taken and, and been like well you know this is what Harry reacted like, this is what Percy Jackson did, this is what blah 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 and um, so there's a bit of frame of difference that way but I didn't set out to you know basically what 14 year old boys act and behave like. I just sort of created my character. Um, and I'm just really sort of thankful that that came from God that it all made sense. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, mashallah, Safina, thank you so much. This has been absolutely fantastic to hear. Um, Alhamdulillah, I mean, you know, I've got to say, um, you know, I've been hearing about these books for for so many years, and I'm I'm gonna have to dive into them without a doubt. You have to. That would you have to. Mashallah, you're not alone you, actually, and telling me that the high level of praise. Um, we've just got some some really we've got really we're, we're at the end of our time really, but we've got a couple of questions from the audience, which I think probably worth just just quickly going through. Um, yeah. You know, first of all, you know, a lot of people quite excited about the idea potentially of film versions uh, potentially uh, from the from the books and we've also got a very desperate question um, from Amna asking uh, since you can't wait for the fourth book to be released do you have a potential release date? Um, hi Amna, alaikum. thank you for your question I don't have a definite date but um, obviously Covid has ruined my plans but I was obviously wanting to sort of publish it by the end of this year which is not going to happen now so I'm hoping for a tentative sort of maybe, maybe summer or late of autumn release next year inshallah all going well because the book is on its way like it's it's i'm writing it and it's you know it's, there's no problems there i am hoping to get the, the the cover made and released possibly by the end of the year that's my aim and that'll build up a bit of you know it's coming and then so hopefully summer if not summer then autumn of uh, 2021 inshallah mashallah it's lovely to have something to look forward to as well um subhanallah um and uh, any 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 sort of words of adaptations of your work for film at all 
there's not nothing yet that is probably something to be honest because of the kind of books the very nature of the books um i think that they would translate very well on screen uh, i'm not really looking into anything like that until i get the last book out because then it's the full story and then i can sort of seriously maybe consider um looking you know looking at possibly like tv adaptation or, or movies but that'll be the next step once i do once i do this before oh, maybe we get a petition going and get everybody to say approach warner brothers or Lionsgate and say we want this turned into a movie <laughs> that would help me out that's a great idea from everybody absolutely why not get in contact get in contact with netflix i hear they've got a good budget as well for that kind of stuff hey eh? yeah uh, Marshall, it's fire away like letters to everyone that's it. I've got a question, uh, Axa, as well, from someone calling you Miss Big, um, asking you um, if you, I'm assuming you want to write a book, what genre would you write? I think I would write a, a very similar genre. Like, as Safina said, I grew up reading, like, all the time, um, and I would do the exact, I would probably write something. Like, I love delving into a completely imaginary world and just kind of, so it'd be, if I were to write a book, then yes, that would be my genre too. SubhanAllah, alhamdulillah. Well, um, you know, more time, you know, would be lovely. Um, I, I just want to say that, you know, I've, I've become uh, Muslim in 2006, it was, I became Muslim, you know, and alhamdulillah, I got to know the, the South Asian community in Glasgow, you know, um, and alhamdulillah, you know, you're talking about the, the, the need for artists and the respect for artists. Well, I just want to say that alhamdulillah, you know, since, since that time, which is it's getting quite long now, to be honest, I've just seen the, the, the confidence, the creativity, the martial uh, um, the amazingness of the community just sort of flourish really um, and mashallah Safina you're really you know uh, part of that so thank you so much for the efforts that you're doing and alhamdulillah you know getting out uh, the stories that are so important as well so thank you to Safina and thank you to Aksa um, I think we'll have to go to a quick break just now but thank you again to everyone who is just in our section there and our sponsors Al Khair as well thank you thank so you much. much thank you